It's quite simple, really. You just need to show you some film. You mean like going to the pictures? Something like that. Hello everyone and welcome back to a very special season 2 season premiere episode. I'm Mitch. And I'm Stefan and this is Drag Mitch to Hell, the show where I strap poor Mitch to a chair and force him to watch genre movies that I love but believe he will hate while I whip him. Why do I say that? It's because we watched Videodrome. <laughs> but anyways, before we get to that, Yovana, would you please say hello? Hi, guys. Nice to be back again. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited nice about to this. Be back. Yeah, it's, it's weird doing this in the morning, but... You know, I know. I'm, I'm, I just... <laughs> I'm drinking a cup of tea and I ate a piece of leftover pizza for breakfast. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I, feel, I think that's the recommended healthy food for excellence in podcasting. So, but it's, it's also Definitely. Max Ren's favorite favorite meal. That's true. <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> so, uh, as discussed, we are uh, going to be looking at one of my favorite movies. I'm kind of interested to see whether or not. Mitch liked it, but also Yvanna, I don't, I don't know what your view on this would be. There was a, a, a lovely tweet uh, about one of the lines that you found particularly humorous that yep. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to get to. But without further ado, for our season two opener, we're going to be gazing into the Cathode Ray 2 with 1983's Videodrome. Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome. Videodrome. Starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. I'm currently drinking coffee from a Long Live the New Flesh mug, which was purchased <laughs> from TIFF during their, uh, their David Cronenberg exhibit. Uh, not only that, but uh, I obviously have a Videodrome tattoo, which Mitch, you've now seen. Yes, you sent me the uh, the photo, and it's great. And like you, I think you mentioned before, it doesn't have you know the James Woods likeness 
on it, which is which is great Thank for God. you. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> Guys, what if I had a James Woods tattoo? That would be bad. That would be really, really bad. <laughs> I feel like that would cause this podcast to no longer happen. Like, I cannot associate with this person. Cover up uh, time. Yeah, seriously. Uh, another thing that I really, really like about uh, this style of film that really appeals to me is that I really enjoy kind of like nightmare reality movies. Uh, you know, like the Jacob's Ladder-esque stuff where uh, hallucinations blend into uh, reality and you kind of never are on firm footing with the movie, which really is something that kind of appeals to me. But, you know, it's it, David Cronenberg is also Canadian. We're Canadian. Uh, that, that also appeals to me. This isn't the first film of his I saw. Uh, that distinction goes to The Fly, which I saw way too young uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, and I fell in love with that movie. And then I kind of like that. That's what set me on this this trail. But how old were you when you saw these movies, you think? Uh, I saw The Fly when I was probably like 11, I would say. Uh, okay. My, my parents were pretty relaxed with uh, allowing me to watch things at a pretty young age. I think that's because they had such a, they had no patience for like kids programming <laughs> of any kind. They're like, we're not going to sit and watch this garbage with you. So you're just kind of going to watch, uh, you know, what we're watching yeah. with, you know, uh, be, this was obviously the like eighties, early nineties. Uh, and this is the sex is bad time. So I think they would kick us out for, sex scenes but you know violence was kind of like carte blanche which is an odd <laughs> yeah. odd view uh but you know uh that, that, th- those were the social mores of the time that's that's kind of my history uh, with all that said Yovetta, what's your what's your history with this film you know i honestly can't recall the first time i saw it but i believe this particular viewing was my fourth uh, so it's definitely one of the more viewed movies in my in my repertoire. I'm not a huge fan of reviewing. Like there's very few films I'll watch twice or three times. I don't yeah. know. It's just kind of my personal style. But the fact that I've seen this one four times definitely testifies to my ongoing interest. And I do find it to be a film that I always get something new out of with every viewing. So it's I, I really like it. And it's kind of a treasure in that way, um, in that it kind of re-reveals itself every time. Yeah. Um, so I could, I'll say more later, but I think that's that's just kind of my history for now. But overall, a thumbs up to video. Yeah. Just to be clear, cool. that's my yeah. stance. Yeah, uh, I have something that I just found on this viewing that I found like deeply unsettling that I'd never seen before. I don't know why. Like I, I did I have blinders on for for a segment of this movie? I don't know, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, so now, Mitch, it's the it's the time to uh, divulge your oh, your initial boy. thoughts. Very general. Have you been dragged to hell or Are, not? Tell yes. us. Stefan, you were successful in dragging me to hell. Wow! <laughs> it, it actually took me. Uh, <laughs> it took me three tries to to watch this because I fell asleep the first two times watching it. Guys, this uh, and is, it's only this is, 90 minutes. Yeah, it's not a long movie. <laughs> I know. I was I, just going to say. Mean, the first time was definitely, you know, it was later when I started it and I got about halfway through and passed out. Yeah. But then the second time, like literally I started it halfway through and maybe got 10 minutes before I fell asleep again. And that was like, <laughs> on a, you know, on an evening that I wasn't working. So, yeah, it, I didn't love it. I will just say that. So did you watch the lion's share in the on the third viewing? Like how far did you get with each segment? So the first viewing was about 45 minutes, so I watched probably half the the movie on the first viewing. Oh, okay, okay. And then the second 
viewing i don't even count like, because like maybe 10, like yeah. 10 minutes and i fell asleep so then i had to go back and basically start again from the same spot and, <laughs> and finish it um, oh i love this yeah. this is what this is what i've been looking for uh for this whole podcast so this is a, this is a successful season opener already in, definitely in my books, so congratulations stefan yeah i i feel like i'm getting better like like i'm i'm, I'm getting stronger good I've been double vaxxed and I'm ready to go. Okay, so before we get into the actual movie, uh, I already talked to you guys that I wanted to kind of like hit two buckets of just kind of like Canadian uh, film history, just very, very generally, so we kind of can kind of like understand this in a larger context. Uh, the first are tax shelter laws, which were intended to kind of like help the burgeoning Canadian film landscape by allowing anybody who had... Uh, excess taxable income uh, to essentially funnel it into Canadian film and uh, get a, essentially 100% write off. And this kind of like yielded a bunch of like wild films, because a lot of the people who were dumping their money didn't ultimately care about the project. They were just like, my money's gone into this. And I don't care ultimately about the outcome, which is kind of an odd viewpoint, because you'd imagine that people who have you know, enough excess income would also kind of like care about having a potential return on their investment as well. Right. Uh, but that was largely not the case. So you had movies that kind of are kind of almost like lost right now because of their uh, gray area distribution, because they're kind of like, you know, they had money thrown at them, but they didn't have like any ultimate goal for distribution. So there's a lot of like wild Canadian films that, you know, may, I won't name them because maybe one will be uh, a, a future film, but that's kind of like a very general underpinning uh, of what was occurring in the 70s to, I think, 1981 for Canadian film. And and uh, uh, no, I think it extended further into the 80s, but uh, that's kind of like how Deirdre Cronenberg had gotten his start. Um, basically, you know, November hits and they're like, wow, we were sitting on a lot of money right now. So they just throw it at a film and they're like, how quickly can you do this? So ultimately, you don't have people who have like full fledged ideas like they might be writing on the go. David Cronenberg was very much writing on the go for uh, scanners and, and Videodrome was uh, very much a write on the go project as well, uh, which can, I think, be successful if you have the, the 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 big picture can kind of allow you to have like a more frenetic movie that might not have like kind of a traditional structure um but anyways that's tax shelter laws and the other one is canadian censorship at the time and it i have a question did you guys watch this on uh like canopy or through the library like uh, this is this is obviously a criterion film how did you guys view this i actually couldn't find it in the library or canopy but i illegally downloaded maybe i should not say that should i say that i don't know if ah, I that's say fine that. <laughs> well, whatever. yeah i think it, uh, it yeah matters. that's not a big deal uh well, i definitely police. Go Please ahead. come get me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, Mitch, how did you, same thing? No. Um, so I've got like um, the stars addition to the uh, Amazon Prime package. Yeah. So it was, I had access to it through that. Yeah, um, I was going to say it's on Crave through stars, I think, or something like that too. Yeah. Uh, the so reason the police I bring that will up. not be getting me. <laughs> Only Yvette is going to get arrested. <laughs> um, God damn it. Yeah. Fuck. What, a, what a great start. Um, 
so the reason I bring that up uh, is because on kind of like the supplemental features, and I had seen this actually a while ago, but there is a, an interview, uh, basically Mick Garris, who is also a director, who directed Critters 2, a movie that I deeply love. Uh, I'm sure both of you would absolutely hate, but, you know, well, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, but he also does a ton of kind of like supplemental features for movies uh, in the 70s and 80s. And he also had kind of like a, I, don't, I think the intention was for it to be a kind of a talk show. Uh, but it's it's called Fear on Film, and it's a sit-down interview with uh, David Cronenberg uh, pre-release of Videodrome. Uh, has John Carpenter pre-release of The Thing, and has John Landis after he had released uh, An American Werewolf in London. Uh, I'm not a particularly huge fan of John Landis, but that's another conversation for other time. Uh, but in that you don't interview, have a John Landis tattoo. I don't have a John Landis tattoo. Uh, what if I had both <laughs> James Woods and John Landis tattoo? <laughs> You'd be my favorite person. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, but in it, he kind of like uh, David Cronenberg chronicles like what occurs in Ontario at the time for censorship, and that he basically says that uh, if you basically you make a film, you submit it to the ratings board of Ontario, they cut your film, keep the the negatives of what they've cut out. Uh, give it back to you and say, this is your movie now. And if you choose to try to screen the, the, the full cut, you'll be put in jail essentially for two years uh, and, and face like a hefty fine. So that is like Ontario censorship at the time, which it was like, incredibly conservative. It had previously been pretty liberal and, and, you know, uh, political climates can change very, very quickly. I think as we are seeing sadly, um, but that's kind of the the two main buckets that I just wanted to to hit on uh, because censorship is obviously a, a huge topic for this film. I, I think we can all agree. I don't, uh, Mitch. Maybe you don't give a shit. You're just like, Fuck this movie. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing stuff, and I think that gives a bit of context for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's super important. Uh, also, uh, Ontario film history is incredibly interesting to me. Anyways, uh, are we good to get in the synopsis now, guys? Yeah, let's go for let's it. Let's do it. All right, cool. Uh, okay, so we open with Max Wren as he's woken up by a videotape of his executive assistant, Bridie, reminding him of the date along with his daily itinerary. Uh, once roused, Max Wren chomps down on his stale pizza and looks at production stills from, uh, it's like a, a Japanese softcore porn show, essentially. You know, he, he gets his disgusting marinara sauce fingers, fingerprints all over the photos. Uh, this is our main character right here, uh, in a nutshell. He's kind of just gross uh, and a little bit unkept. But uh, Max Wren goes to meet the team of salespersons in a seedy hotel, and it's the very people that have produced the stills that Max had been looking at moments before. Uh, and, and basically they kind of like present him with a box that contains the full season of this show. And Max kind of interestingly requests to see the final episode w with the argument that his audience will only maybe see the final episode. Uh, and he, and he watches as a woman goes to kind of like pleasure herself with a dildo. And, and that's this show. And we turn to reveal from the screen that Max is now in the boardroom of his television station, Civic TV or channel 83, if you prefer, uh, where he sat along with two other male executives. One makes a super racist comment that uh, Asian sex is unnatural, while the other believes it isn't tacky enough to turn him on. Max believes it's far too soft as well, and it's clear he's hunting for the next big thing to take his station in a new direction. Uh, 
Uh, and that's kind of our opening sequence. Do you guys have anything here? You know, it establishes that there is porn and erotica and nudity and the pushing of boundaries in media, which is like kind of, you know, what the whole thing is about. But it's nice to kind of get that going right away. And I'll just say right off the bat, one of my one of my big uh, things about this movie is that I love the running time. I know Mitch said he fell asleep. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mitch. But, um, you know, I'm such a fan of a tight 90. There's no need for this two and a half hour treaties on all of your ideas and ideologies and philosophies. Let's keep it tight. Let's keep it cool. So the fact that it really gets going right away with the uh, with the porn and the salaciousness and the pushing of boundaries, I'm like, yep, let's do it. We're all there's no unnecessary exposition. We're just getting into it. So great for me. Yeah, I love it. It establishes like their station as a small station and one that's trying to kind of like carve out a niche. And I think that's yeah. like it's like super economical. David Cronenberg actually his first cut was like 70 minutes uh and wow. the, like yeah producers were like uh like this doesn't make sense like go back and add <laughs> stuff in uh so he yeah he's like a very like judicious cut it cutter i guess uh yeah, that's good and, yeah i, I could have gone for that 70 minute cut i wonder what that was like <laughs> incomprehensible that's what it was. was like when is it over how soon is it over <laughs> did what were your like initial thoughts of this character I'm, I'm curious like at this point were you like still with the movie or you're kind of like i don't know where this is going i don't care uh like, no just, i mean this is pretty early for me to already be uh checking out so no right. i mean yeah he seemed you know kind of gross uh and you know we'll see uh we'll see where this goes like i really didn't know what the plot of this movie was and and spoiler for those listening there's not much of one in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> but um uh yeah so like i didn't know where it was going or like sort of what the plot of the movie was so at yeah. this point, I'm just sort of being like, okay, like we got some, this guy's kind of gross. And so are the, you know, executives at this TV station and they're looking for, I guess, even, you know, grosser content. Um, so we'll see where this goes. But yeah, that's, that's where I was at this point in the movie. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's get back into this and uh, we'll see at what point this movie uh, turns against Mitch. <laughs> okay uh max then goes to meet harlan who's played by peter dvorsky uh and he he essentially specializes oh by the way peter dvorsky is also in the dead zone uh a movie that you actually like mitch i believe yes i did like the dead zone okay great i absolutely love the dead zone i think its structure is incredibly interesting but anyways tangent over harlan he specializes in pirating television shows from afar and it kind of allows them to see what's out there for them to maybe like purchase for distribution or, or just trying to gauge kind of like the who's pushing boundaries for television. And Harlan has kind of found a very interesting show uh, that'll become very interesting to Max. It's a show where uh, essentially a woman is tortured against a red clay wall. and the, the room is just kind of like wrapped in red. Uh, Max is clearly compelled by this pirated feed that Harlan has found and kind of like he needles him to continue hunting for the source of the stream because he's like obviously completely entranced by this. And then we transition to Max as he attends a television show uh, as a guest alongside Nikki Brand, who's a, uh, a radio psychologist and Brian Oblivion. Present only on television screen, wheeled up next to our two guests, the Arena King show. So Nikki Brand is obviously played uh, by Debbie Harry of Blondie fame. Uh, it's actually Deborah Harry, excuse me. 
De- Deborah Harry in the credits of this film. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think she was going for. I think she was going for one of those rebrands. You know how like when Ludacris goes by his real name in Fast Chris and Bridges. Furious or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So no, Deborah Harry art movies. Oh, man, that's you, right. You, 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 I, I felt like I was on a shaky ground for a second. Like, did I completely butcher her name? Her hat. No, I, I thought it was like yeah. incorrect for like. You're getting forever. canceled, Stefan. I was like, oh man, I didn't mean to. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so she's better known as Debbie Harry. That's yeah. True. So her real name is, by the way, is uh, Angela Tremble, which I think is a better name. Interesting. Yeah, I don't like uh, aesthetic, like the like pure superficial aesthetics of names. I think that is a, a more interesting name. But anyway, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, irrelevant. I'm sure nobody gives <laughs> gives a shit except for me. Uh, but uh, also, uh, Brian Oblivion. I, I I don't have the actor's name. Uh, my notes kind of got a little screwed up on this episode. Uh, but he's a pretty well known Canadian actor. He's been on like The Littlest Hobo, and he's on in Doctor Strange Love as well. Uh, I apologize. I'm gonna look it up right now because I f- I feel real bad. Jack Creeley. Yes, yes, yes. Oh Jack Jack Creeley. He has a, a an, an impressive resume, uh, and definitely kind of like lens. He he really has. Uh, there's like a gravity to his 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 posturing character that I I really find enjoyable. Uh, but anyways, let, let's get in, uh, into the Urena King show here. Uh, the subject of the show is whether the distribution of Max's TV station's morally dubious shows contribute kind of like to the decline of Western civilization. Uh, Max believes he simply gives his viewers kind of an outlet for their feelings, while uh, Nikki believes that society is largely craving greater and greater amounts of stimulation uh, and believes that to largely be a bad thing, I would say. I think that's a fair characterization of, of her position. Uh, Max, believing this to be slightly hypocritical, asks why Nikki has chosen to wear a bright red dress. Nikki confesses uh, she herself lives an overstimulated life. For the remainder of the broadcast, Max Wren attempts to convince Nikki to go out with him while Arena King turns her attention to Brian Oblivion, our face on a television. Brian believes that television has become the retina of the mind's eye, which is why he won't appear on television unless he's on television explaining his cathode ray corporeal casing uh he he utters the kind of interesting line that uh while not entirely correct uh uh it it could still be extrapolated uh but uh, he explains that brian oblivion is obviously not his given name and he said continues on we'll soon have our own names that make the cathode ray tube uh resonate uh which i think is a kind of an interesting line like like we'll have uh, almost like digital presentations of ourselves. And we can kind of like relabel what that is. Uh, th- so there's a lot that's gone on here. Uh, and any general thoughts from you guys? I just have a quick thing to say, yeah. which is that obviously James Woods is bad now. Um, I can't remember the details. Is he a white supremacist or what? What's what's the deal? Uh, what, he what's his was, badness? He was dating like a 16-year-old, I want to say. Oh, gross. Oh. Yeah, what, James Woods, gross. Let's see what this yields. <laughs> <laughs> just type that real quick into Google. I feel like he's a Republican and some kind of far right yeah. nationalist or something. Anyway, also dating a 16 year old is bad. What I was going to say is that uh, as part and parcel of my enjoyment of the fast pace and short running time of this film, we really establish right away that Max Wren is like an kind of an unsavory character. Like first he's got a messy bachelor apartment and he's looking at porn first thing in the morning. And then he's hitting on a woman that he's on a TV talk show with right away yeah. right in front of the camera. So like, 
bit of a seedy, savory, sketchy, kind of like uh, overconfident, egotistical, you know, typical, your typical white male stuff. No offense yeah, to you yeah. two guys. But I think the fact that James Woods is, has been revealed to be a terrible person now really works for Max Ren upon reviewing. So the film's from 1983, that's 20, 28 years ago. And suddenly James Woods's badness is now helping me appreciate the badness of the Max Ren character. I don't know if that makes sense, but I thought that was kind of a fun uh, twist on the historical context. That's all I'll say. But yeah, yeah. Max sucks. I don't like so, him. So the uh, James Woods gross uh, Google search <laughs> <laughs> yielded me a uh, 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 result, okay? So... James Woods had criticized Army Hammer for his role in Call Me By Your Name. Uh, you know, he, he say, so Army Hammer's character, uh, who, you know, we won't get into Army Hammer. But <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Is, yeah, it's a lot. Although you mean the, sex cannibal Army Hammer? Is that Yeah, the, is that I the mean, there's a lot mean? of like okay. kink Got that it. could could feed into this episode as well. Uh, whether or not it's consensual kink versus like, you know, uh, abuse. Sure. Which, you know, that, that's a whole discussion we could have that could run the entirety of this episode yeah, we don't have time for that yeah, we don't have time for this but uh he criticized army hammer's character for being a 24 24 year old who is going after uh romantically a 17 year old boy and then amber tamblin of sisters of the traveling pants fame uh kind of shared a story on twitter that james woods tried to pick her up at a restaurant in vegas when she was 16 ew uh army hammer's first comment back to james woods was didn't you date a 19 year old when you were 60 uh and then kind of amber tamblin fed uh army hammer this other story of of him being gross uh and he's definitely a disgusting conservative you know uh mouthpiece hypocritical dirtbag yeah like he's been on breitbart stuff like oh gross yeah we we can you know, uh, we all have our political leanings, which are very much on the left, I would say. I think that's a, a, a very fair <laughs> Mitch. Yeah. I don't know what about you, but uh, you've had an No, I'm sure. with you. Yeah, We're yeah, not yeah. browsing on Breitbart in our free time. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah not at all. Um, but anyways, that that's that's my James Woods gross Google search. Why did I um, feel like he was always gross? Like, yeah, for some know. reason, Maybe I had the impression he... of James Woods, like even before any of, you know, this more recent stuff came out that mm. he just seemed like uh like he was an asshole or had like a reputation for being one and maybe mm. i don't know maybe i just made that up because of his face and performances but it's possible because people don't just turn bad in their 60s they usually they usually have a history <laughs> of badness but i think it actually kind of uh get grants a lot to the performance of of max and i think it's interesting that the film really starts off by presenting a unsympathetic sort of unsavory protagonist because the whole film is seedy, right? There's all these industrial locations, which we'll get to, and everything's kind of underground and seedy and secret and um, sexy in a disreputable manner. So Max is that all of that put together and James Woods is all that as well. So it works perfectly for me. <laughs> yeah. I, half the time I don't think James Woods is even acting. I think, I think Mitch is correct. <laughs> like this is, this is him just playing himself. Uh, largely uh i have to say so uh i i for the longest time i didn't really view his character as being really really awful until uh more recently uh which is deeply alarming yeah, like, what does that say about yeah, you Stephen? i don't know like am i james woods guys i'm obviously not you but, have you know. a tattoo of him i mean yeah what more I, mean, I, I think yeah. it's part of the 
the fact that when we watch a film, we expect our protagonist to be someone that we can align ourselves with and right. cheer on. Like that's just what movies are for the most part. Yeah. So you kind of automatically start on the default on the on the wrong foot with him, where you're like protagonist, hooray, and then you're kind of like, wait a minute, this guy, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I don't blame you, Stefan. I think that's quite an okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. It's funny because the, the 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 what I missed uh, and I picked up on this viewing is literally the smallest detail. I was like, I was like, oh, this is like. Like, he's a bag of shit, uh, and I can't wait to to hit on that on what that is. But it, it's an incredibly small detail that I missed entirely. But uh, back to the movie. So after the Rena King uh, uh, Max's stint on Rena King, we uh, basically pick back up as Max goes to visit Harlan to see yet another strange unknown broadcast. This time, a man is being whipped against a red clay wall. Harlan says it just goes kind of on for an hour, and they never leave that room. Uh, Max, like a true producer, is almost impressed by the simplicity as it costs no money to produce a show of this kind. Harlan reveal then reveals that the show is coming from Pittsburgh. Uh, I love the fact that it, it's it's coming from Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh has a, a a rich film history. It's obviously where um, uh, George Romero is from. Uh, I, I don't think people, when they you know think Pittsburgh, they're like film, but the reality is it actually kind of has it, its little small community that I think is kind of interesting. That evening, Nikki joins Max at his apartment, uh, sifting through his tapes uh, in search of porn to get her in the mood. She finds the pirated tape of Videodrome. Max tells her it's murder and torture and not exactly sex, to which she responds, says who, which I think was a kind of interesting line. Uh, it's clear she enjoys Videodrome uh, and, and even asks to uh, be cut by Max. Max, who kind of like pushes her uh, like hair aside, sees several cuts on her shoulder saying, looks like someone beat me to it. Uh, the two then have sex while Max pierces both of her ears. Uh, during this, Max has visions of the red, uh, the clay red wall of Videodrome. I think there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> uh, Mitch, was this the start of where the movie lost you? I'm curious. Yeah, I'd say the beginning of of me sort of losing it. Like, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's bizarre and not something overly interesting to me uh so yeah i mean i wouldn't say i was completely out at this point but uh but definitely started started getting there where i'm like okay like what what are we doing here Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah so the the beginning of the end i suppose yeah i mean i like this scene i i do enjoy that they are having consensual kink sex uh i i i know no complaints on this this is max being less seedy almost uh where he kind of all i i feel like he's almost uncomfortable with the fact that nikki is like almost more advanced with with what she's interested in um so the next day at the office bridey uh max's assistant uh, informs him that Masha has been waiting for her meeting for over an hour with Max. Uh, on the way to the office, Max pinches an office assistant's ass. I only bring this up because this is what I've never noticed, and I didn't recall it until this viewing. Like I, I just had never seen it, uh, and I think this this disgusting act. Uh, and she kind of like looks back coyly at him, which I only think she's doing that because she's like, "This is my." like the, the president of the station where I'm, I'm working. Uh, and, and, you know, this is, this is how I have to react if I want to keep my job. 
uh like it's it, it was like deeply upsetting to me or i'm like max is a piece of shit uh, uh this is that moment did, did either of you notice this at all that he pinched that he, that he pinched that he's yeah just like, yeah like did, did you catch that like i yeah, never I it. caught it okay cool uh i'm just i mean i saw it but i can't say if i, s- I have seen it on previous viewings because yeah. i might have just forgotten or not noticed it but yeah, yeah. it's definitely uh office sexual harassment yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't I don't think I had I had noticed it before because like I had such like a wow that I like uh, it, it felt new and fresh uh, that that moment in the movie for me, which uh, is kind of like why I, I enjoy rewatching stuff. Uh, I, I tend to be a little oblivious sometimes, so it, it allows me to capture those moments that I can I can sometimes miss. But uh, yeah, that's that's where uh, Max lost his luster with me uh, mostly, but. Uh, before Anyways. that, you were like, "This is a stand-up guy." Yeah, this this guy is a <laughs> pillar of his community. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, like I knew he was he was not great and he was kind of scummy, but I think this is the moment where I'm like, "Yeah, this guy is shitty." And there's also maybe a bit of his dynamic with Bridie, his assistant, that I, I almost feel like uh, it hints at them, like him maybe being involved with her. I don't know if I'm putting too much into this movie, but there's a bit of their dynamic that you know uh, I feel like that could be an interpretation, but. Uh, Anyways, uh, in the meeting, Masha shows uh, Max Apollo and Dionysus a Roman softcore orgy scene. Uh, again, Max is disinterested in this, and he's definitely looking for something more hardcore. Uh, uh, another shows... orgy? God. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, it's just something... a little too classical, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it, the music was also really nice. <laughs> uh he max is definitely looking to 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 show what's really going on with sex right now or at least his view of sex that, that should be the uh the qualifying factor for sure max then asks her about videodrome and kind of tasks her with hunting it down for you know offering a fighter's fee if she's able to accomplish that uh that task and uh, back at Max's apartment in post-coital, Nikki tells Max that she's going on assignment to Pittsburgh and wants to audition for Videodrome. Uh, Max attempts to go kind of like aggro bro here on Nikki and tells her to stay away from those Mondo weirdo video guys. Uh, and they'll play rougher than she's willing to play. Uh, Nikki, trying to show that she's up for the challenge, takes her lit cigarette uh, and puts it out on her breast. Um, she kind of then hands the cigarette off to Max and, and something that I don't know if I've noticed before, but he then smells this, this, the mm. end of the cigarette, uh, yeah. as if he's like repressed, kind of, but kind of like, yeah, but it almost feels like he, uh, I don't know, he's in, he, like enticed by the display, but he doesn't know how to like, how to interact with it sexually. Like it, it he definitely feels like a slightly repressed, which is weird because he's a perv. Um, but maybe the smell of burning flesh is a new kink to him. Like yeah, maybe yeah. like he, you know, he's been kinky and pervy, but he's like, huh, cigarette with burnt woman's skin on it. This yeah. Is new. Uh, also, I want to be clear. I don't mean like, like kink is pervy. Like, uh, I know no. he's, he's a pervy person and then is also into kink. Like, the, listen, the, we're all very sex positive on this leftist podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, very um, much so. But there are definitely aspects of Max Ren's engagement with sexual behavior that are less than savory. So yes, yeah, uh, I just want to make make it clear that we're not uh, at least I'm not uh, uh, equating kink with uh, you know gross behavior. Um, but anyways, uh, Max then meets back up with Masha, and she reveals that uh, the people that produce Videodrome are the real thing. They're dangerous, political. It has philosophy, that of Brian Oblivion. 
Uh, it's essentially a snuff film, um, which, you know, uh, everybody was kind of like obsessed with snuff film. I I think there's a You're Wrong uh, About episode on snuff film, uh, which basically like snuff film wasn't a thing. There weren't snuff films. Hmm. Uh, it's just like a weird, you know, moment in the zeitgeist that everybody was like obsessed with, you know, people knew of snuff films, but, you know, nobody could name one or, or, or knew of one. But that's kind of what vi- the Videodrome feed is. Um, Max then heads off to Pittsburgh, where he uh, heads to the cathode ray mission. He kind of cuts through a line of homeless people because he's a bag of shit. Uh, for those who are, I think it's now kind of like important maybe to say what like the cathode ray tube is. Like CRTs are kind of like umbrella that televisions exist under uh, in the 80s and the 90s. So I think it's important to just explain what that is. Uh, so CRTs are cathode ray tubes. For um, our younger listeners. Yeah, like I think it needs like a bit of explanation. Uh, For the Gen, uh, Gen Z crowd. <laughs> uh essentially inside of a television is a vacuum tube with electron guns that emit beams uh which could be altered to phosphorus on the screen producing an image that's kind of like what uh you know that's how, how oscilloscopes work too but you know that, that that that's what a crt is so the cathode ray mission is very much a a television driven mission which i think is incredibly interesting uh, inside the mission, homeless people are given, or sorry, unhoused people are given their own cubicle where they uh, basically enjoy television tuned to whatever broadcast uh, uh, they so desire. Uh, Max kind of like, you know, uh, stalks through this mission and finally comes upon uh, Bianca Oblivion, Brian Oblivion's daughter. Uh, she explains that what her mission seems to do is patch uh, people back into the world's mixing board via television. Which I think is like a, a incredibly like we'll get to Marshall McLuhan, which uh, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I hope Yovana, you know more about Marshall McLuhan than <laughs> I do. Uh, I tried I to disappoint you there. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Cool. I got. We'll, Listen, we'll get to. I went to grad school and then I forgot everything after I finished. So. I asked uh, my partner about uh, Ada about uh, Marshall McLuhan, and she had like a. Uh, she was all. It's, it's been ten years, you know. Like, well, what, do you, what? What can you rightly remember about this obscure Canadian philosopher? Uh, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll touch on that in, in a little bit. But it, it's very Marshall McLuhan. Uh, uh, David Cronenberg is obviously kind of a fan, or at least interested in the uh, the you know philosophical posits of, of this person. Uh, Max kind of demands to see Brian. Uh, I, uh, by the way, I love calling Brian Oblivion just Brian. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, the, the least interesting part of his name. Uh, anyways, uh, but Bianca informs him that he hasn't spoken in, uh, to a person in 20 years and he will only communicate via television. Bianca asks, uh, you know, what format he'd prefer, like, you know, say video cassette. Uh, for a response uh, and Max simply responds with Videodrome in hopes that'll coax Brian into conversation. Kind of growing increasingly detached from reality and paranoid, Max unearths a pistol from his pouch or its pouch uh, just as he's disturbed by a knock at the door and it's none other than Birdie who delivers her daily wake-up call cassette along with a, a kind of like an express courier cassette from Brian Oblivion. Uh, as she pulls Max's copy of the pirated Videodrome feed out of the VCR, Max kind of goes into a panic and rushes over to stop her, where he hallucinates that he slaps Birdie in the face, uh, kind of like her face changes uh, from her normal face to that of Nikki Brand and then back to Birdie. 
or Bridie, sorry. Uh, Max apologizes for losing control, but Bridie explains that uh, he never actually hit her. Max quickly uh, kind of like destabilized by these events, shepherds Bridie from the apartment uh, while he picks up, kind of like quickly picks up the tape from Brian Oblivion. In his hands, the tape throbs and moans, scaring the living shit out of Max. Uh, he drops the, the tape and kind of like musters the courage and finally picks it up and pops it into the VCR. You know, there's a, a lot has happened here. Uh, Mitch, what are your reactions to the tape throbbing? So I'd say that the like the hallucinations in general um, and the use of practical effects like within a lot of them is really my favorite part of the movie because um, one, I just love practical effects, but like I, I think it's interesting to watch and I do think it's interesting, um, you know, the idea of the hallucinations and sort of what is reality and what is not um that's but that's probably where my interest in the movie sort of ends like there's not a lot else to the movie that i found myself enjoying but i did really like the the tape throbbing i thought that was cool and a lot of the other practical effects uh, are just really innovative and and sort of fun and you don't see in a lot of things even you know what is it 30 years later almost um that type of Which stuff is, is rarely uh yeah. you know, on screen so i i appreciated uh that stuff mostly out of this movie more than anything else yeah mitch, just I have a question. Bladders. yeah i have a question for mitch given that we know he disliked this movie um <laughs> There's a couple things for me at this juncture that are very intriguing and sort of curiosity stimulating. And I want to know why they aren't for you. <laughs> I want to quiz you on that. <laughs> so one thing that I find really interesting is, you know, first we start off as like, okay, he's a TV guy. He does salacious CD content. Great, great, great. But then suddenly it's established that in this fictional universe, television is some kind of biological necessity, right? So people at the mission are hooked up, like they have TVs hooked up to their veins because they, you know, don't have access to the TV that they quote unquote need to survive, right? Um, so right. is that not in any way kind of philosophically interesting to you, that concept? Maybe it's not executed as as you might have liked, but is that is that at all intriguing? Um, I mean, I guess, but I think I'm... Um... I, th I think I'm admittedly I'm a bit of a, a simpleton when it comes to watching movies and sort of my level of enjoyment of them where I mean I disagree with that I've, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard you have some very complex and nuanced reactions but okay <laughs> I think that what loses me here and and sort of a lot of movies that we've talked about is you know, very much protagonist and plot driven uh, for me for a lot of things. Like I don't mind watching something where the protagonist isn't like a great person, but when it's, when things are happening where I don't care about really what, what is happening with the protagonist or, and, or any of the supporting cast, like nobody feels like, people to me uh, <laughs> i mean that's true in the movie <laughs> right um, which like you know it's maybe the the intention like obviously things are taken to a, a pretty extreme level in certain cases but yeah i don't know and like in terms of you know the the philosophical ideas um yeah like maybe you're right like maybe it's just a, a subconscious thing where it's not explored in a way that you know was interesting to me but mm. I don't know, like, 
it's didn't catch you, eh? It 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 didn't, and okay. and yeah, and, and cool. again, like the plot as well is sort of something that again, like which is why I, I told Stefan I thought that you know this might work and why David Lynch stuff um, you know is more in things that might drag me to hell because right. <laughs> they're less like plot focused and more on exploring you know other philosophical ideas and and themes and doing them in more abstract or bizarre ways and and that's not usually that doesn't usually line up with with my taste um well that actually brings me nicely to my second question to you which sure. is about the plot um are I, have, you... I, I love this I, I by the way i have a, a question regarding the plot as well so let's okay do we're this. just grilling mitch today that's what yes. today is Great. um yes. i guess at this point for me and again this was i think my fourth viewing and so i've obviously seen it and know the plot but even in my repeat viewings at this point in the film i am very compelled by the mystery i'm like what is going on like Who's behind this? What is Videodrome? Who's Brian Oblivion? Like, where is this going? Is any of that at all doing it for you? Or so I'm definitely curious at this point. Right. Um, but it's not like I don't know. I'd say in comparison to something like the last film we talked about was Ex Machina. Like, definitely the mystery more set up there, or sort of the what's truly happening behind the scenes mm. works for me in a much greater way. And I don't know if it's because this is, you know, a little bit explored in a little more abstract way rather than sort of on the nose, um, just like, you know, plot. Um, but yeah, so like, I'm curious at this stage, like, okay, like, you know, what's going on and who are these people? But I guess it's not set up in a way that, you know, I'm dying to know exactly what's happening. I don't know. I just okay. kind of bored a little bit. Hey, that's fair. Yeah. I have to say, so my question is exactly what Yvonne asked. Uh, I find the idea of like a pirated broadcast that is like very, very odd to be an interesting, you know, setup for a plot. Like, I think it sounds great. Yvonne, uh, we both love Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, I did actually pick up uh, hum Hummingbird Salamander and it starts with a, a somewhat similar, not similar, but uh, essentially the main character is given a, a, a key and goes to a uh, like a, a storage unit and finds like a uh, taxidermy salamander and hummingbird, uh, and it kind of like sets this like mystery uh, into motion. And I, I think I, plots like that really appeal to me. Um, I love stuff like that, so this yeah. really works for me. I think uh, that part. Of, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I don't, I don't have anything of value after that. So please. <laughs> I think, I guess what is missing for me in terms of like really being interested is like stakes almost where like it, when you think about it, sure, the stakes are high, I suppose, in terms of like, what's the impact of this tape, but in watching it up to this point, it doesn't feel like that to me where it's like, does, does this matter at all to anything that I'm interested, like invested in, in the story? Yeah. Where, and that's what I mean, where like sort of standard plot is more appealing to me because then you'd probably have set it up with something more around, again, like it doesn't have to be a likable protagonist, but that certainly helps in certain cases. Um, but where it's like, okay, this thing that we're curious about, how is it actually impacting anything that I'm invested in? Or is it going to impact something in a negative way that... I'm going to care about. It just seems like, you know, things are happening, but in terms of the end result, like 
what it does it doesn't really matter as far as my investment in the movie um because it's like james woods could get killed he could go on a murderous rampage um the world could end and be like okay like i guess that's in this weird sort of world this is how it was impacted but i don't know just no investment in characters uh makes me struggle to care about the mystery because Mm. the result is not going to impact me in any way in terms of my investment in these people. That makes sense. And I would, even though I love this film, I would agree with that. It's not a very character. Like I don't really give a shit what any, what happens to anybody to be honest in the movie. Um, (laughs) And maybe that just doesn't have as high a value for me as it does. But, um, but I do agree with that. Yeah. So uh, regarding the comment on stakes, would you, uh, so obviously there are ramifications to watching video drone, which we'll get to, so I won't spoil what those are, but would you have wanted to know those earlier on, almost something like The Ring-esque, also dealing with like a, a videotape where you you immediately know, oh shit, she's watched this, and this is, the, the, these, this is what's going to happen, unless you can kind of like figure it out. Would you have preferred uh, an understanding of, the gravity of, of what he's just, you know, committed himself to, uh, would that have helped you like this movie a bit more? Like moved that up essentially in the plot. Yeah. I think that that might have been something to, to help it out. Like, you know, knowing what the potential stakes are earlier on so that it'd be like, okay, like he's, they're getting into something that's very dangerous, but even like, even still like the way that the characters are set up, it's not as though I'm concerned that something bad is going to happen to them um, or wanting something good to happen to them. Like it's, it doesn't matter to me either way what happens to right. really any of these people because none of them are established as, you know, characters that we're rooting for or invested in. It's just sort of like it feels like we're watching just like this person go through these series of events and like in terms of our emotional investment in him it's like he's a gross person so like i guess it's not to me it doesn't really matter if something bad happens to him but like i'm not sitting here concerned that that's going to happen or rooting for it either like i guess again it just sort of comes down to like characters and my investment in the people that i'm watching um and if there isn't any then it's hard for me to to care about you know, sort of where things are going. And so that's what I mean by I'm curious to see what happens like with the the mystery and, and, you know, the end result with Videodrome and how, you know, the impact it has, but it, it's not really that important to me to, to know because it's not impacting anything or driving anything for me, you know, in terms of my investment in the film. Okay. 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 All right, well, we can get back into this, I suppose. Uh, so at this point, Max has uh, committed himself to Brian Oblivion's tape. And on this tape, we see uh, Brian Oblivion kind of sat behind his usual desk, his usual uh, vantage point, And he claims that if the television uh, is the retina of the mind's eye, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. So whatever appears on the screen emerges as raw experience for the viewer. Television is reality, and reality is less than television. Brian then directly addresses Max and warns him that his hallucinations are going to become far worse. He then reveals he was Videodrome's first victim, as he's strangled by some person shrouded in black leather. Nikki then appears on screen, and we zoom in until her mouth fills the TV screen and she begs for Max to come to her. 
the television throbs and undulates uh, and then max kind of like you know uh forces his face into the television screen which has become kind of like malleable and pillowy uh which is an incredibly wonderful effect and it's the tattoo that i have then that's why you can't see the likeness of james woods obviously because <laughs> his face is in the screen uh this effect is great it's obviously uh it's a, a projection and the material is that of i believe it's like a dental dam material it's like a rubber uh type of material uh that it, it's just it's it looks so great I, I love this scene um you know uh at this point we can also probably talk about the uh, marshall McLuhan and our, our faint awareness with him uh Yvette, you said i would be disappointed uh much like <laughs> bianca says we'll be disappointed by the reality of brian oblivion but uh what, what do you know I, you're not put on the spot so if you say nothing that's also fine but what do you know about marshall McLuhan? I can talk. I've read I've read a couple of essays and chapters of his work, um, but it was over 10 years ago, like I said. So maybe I should have been been reviewing that before we recorded this episode. But I will talk more generally about theories of technology and technological determinism. Um, I'm not going to name drop any theorists because that's weird. And I also don't have the authority to do that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about to what extent our existence, our biology is intertwined with the technologies that we invent. So, you know, man has been making tools since forever, carving out little hatchets from whatever. And to what extent these kinds of technologies become part of our bodies. So, you know, early questions about, you know, arrows or even uh, guns and firearms and to what extent they become part of our bodies. And obviously we'll get to that with Max Wren and his, his very particular unique interactions with his gun. Um, But I guess what's most interesting here for me, and I'm sorry, I can't talk about McLuhan specifically, but uh, what's interesting here for me is the notion that, you know, there was a time in the height of television before digital media and internet took over where TV was held up as the great devil, right? The brainwasher and video games as well, making children violent and static and overweight and excessive consumption of media uh, makes you brainwashed and brain dead. And we're all just zombies, um, you know, a slave to our machines, a slave to the technologies we invented. And certainly a lot of that is true, especially with uh, you know, more salacious content, shall we say, violence and and other <laughs> sexual kinds of content. Um, but I think what's missing from that analysis that has come out a little more as we've um, grown the internet and digital technologies is that um, these tools are incredibly liberating and emancipating as well for a lot of people who don't have access to um different communities or services or the world. So, you know, the internet, the internet's been amazing for people who are historically excluded or marginalized or have, you know, disabilities that make it easier for them to interact online than in person and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I'm going on a rant now. Sorry. You asked, you asked me a question about McLuhan and I said nothing about him, but I guess all I want to say is that as a historical document, this film is an interesting representation of the height of a kind of satanic panic about TV and about broadcast and about media and brainwashing. And it really, really takes that horrifying, uh, the devil made me do it side, which is fascinating and certainly has some truth to it. A lot of people have been badly affected in negative ways by media and continue to be today. 
Um, but when you put it in the context of what we're dealing with today, where everybody's glued to a certain screen all the time, like, you know, I work on the computer all day and then I go on my phone for fun and personal reasons at night. Um, and I seem to be doing okay. I don't, th- I don't think I'm a, <laughs> some kind of a sadistic, uh, serial torturer or something, but Hey, who knows? Um, so I don't know. I like it. I think it's a fun, it's a fun throwback to a kind of panic about media and the, biological intertwining of the tools we make with our bodies and with our consciousness and with yeah. ourselves the yeah. end end of the rant end. <laughs> uh the only thing that i i'll touch on is his distinction between hot and cool media so marshall McLuhan makes the distinction that hot media uh, requires less it's more like narratively driven uh content that requires less of the participant whereas cool media uh, like something that requires, like, I think like reading would like reading a book would be right. Yeah. It's now vaguely cool coming media. back to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, 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 first of all, I hate that, that view because just because something contains more content, like there's an audio and a visual component, uh, that limits the, uh, the engagement of the viewer. I think that is, is largely like, I, I'm sure that could be true. Uh, there are some people who, like, uh, surely I'll put something on stupid and turn my brain off, but that doesn't mean that all of the things that I watch, that is the process that I engage in. I think mm-hmm. that is like a, a, a wildly reductive view. It is. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan's, uh, I, I think a lot of people rightly consider him more of a poet than a philosopher nowadays because mm-hmm. his writing is pretty interesting. And and there are his book, um, uh, God, uh, the medium is the message has a lot of a lot of interesting art that accompanies it. Um, but anyways, uh, so Brian Oblivion is largely intended to be a Marshall McLuhan-esque person. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, 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 I quite I like the character. I Also, all of the names in this are are wild and i love so it. good i like and this is another thing of like you you made the 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 great uh comments that like david lynch kind of like curates weird in a successful way uh i i hope i'm like doing justice what you had said but i think also david Cronenberg, sorry are you talking about lynch or cronenberg uh you made the comment about david lynch but i think it could apply to david cronenberg as well oh, where okay. he like can use weird well like the mm, his, mm-hmm. his representation of weird works like oblivion could really go south quickly like it's o comma oblivion uh or apostrophe oblivion uh like it is it is uh a name that could be incredibly cheesy and stupid uh in less deft hands uh you know um god uh, nikki brand she brands herself like yeah. like oh uh, it could be superficial and stupid, but it just works. And there's another character we'll meet soon named like, like Barry Convex. Like it, yeah, it all that. just, just works for me. Um, but anyways, that's, that's maybe not that important. Um, it's fun. I think it's a yeah. fun part of the film. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the details. Um, but anyways, frightened Max returns the tape to Bianca saying careful it bites. So this is where the stakes are kind of established, which, uh, you know, maybe it could have been moved up a little bit. I don't know. I like the fact that it's revealed here, but Bianca reveals the Videodrome signal produces a brain tumor, which is likely the source of the hallucinations. Uh, Videodrome is essentially a weapon. Uh, and we're kind of getting back to uh, Mash's comments earlier, uh, saying that Videodrome uh, is political and, and there's a message associated with it. Uh, and that the people that produce it are dangerous. Max at this point demands to see Brian uh, and Bianca 
saying that you'll likely be disappointed. I think I'm paraphrasing. I, I hope I'm doing a, a, a good representation of her comment. But uh, she leads Max to a room that's essentially wall-to-wall shelving of VHS recordings. And it's Brian Oblivion's kind of like last will and testament committed to endless tapes. Um, Bianca provides Max at that point with a, a stack of tapes that will kind of like hopefully shepherd him through his new uh, hallucinatory journey. Uh, which, you know, I, all of this I love. Uh, it almost reminds me of like, uh, she, she's like a, a clerk at a video store uh, picking out movies that you'll like this and just kind of like hats in a stack of, of videotapes. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that's kind of, at this point we reveal that Marshall McLuhan slash Brian Oblivion is long dead and he's just a series of tapes. Uh, that's hopefully put concisely enough. Uh, further unhinged, Max watches one of Professor Oblivion's tapes, uh, who explains that video, the video drone tumor might actually unlock a new faculty, kind of a new outgrowth of the human body that'll change human reality. Max looks down to his stomach, which now has a lengthy hole. It's almost like a, like a mouth. Uh, some people refer to it as a vagina. I think that is, uh, <laughs> incredibly rude. Uh, but Max... And yet makes kind of sort of a little yeah. bit of sense. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, like, you can't help but see it is all I'm saying. Yeah, but also because it's intended to be gross, I'm, I'm like hesitant to call it like a stomach vagina because like that, like I don't want to equate the, the grossness of this with like <laughs> vaginas, you know what I mean? Like That's very uh, kind I, of you. I want to um, be careful. Very, Thank that's you. That's very pro-woman of you. Um, <laughs> but I will... <laughs> I will just point out that there's a very obvious and very consistent thread of uh, penetration and uh, consent versus lack of consent in this right. film. Yes. So to, to that extent, there is some allegorical overlap with the female anatomy, at least, uh, you know, uh, yeah. that part of it. Right. Yeah, but very I, good yeah. of you, Stefan, to clarify. <laughs> vaginas are beautiful, and James Woods's stomach hole is gross. <laughs> James Woods's stomach hole—that should be the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, 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 uh, I'm gonna call it a stu- uh, a, a mouth, uh, like a stomach mouth. I think for for this episode rather sure. than a stomach. Let's go with vagina, that. I, I think, uh, but anyways. Uh, Max, uh, again, uh, kind of like going off of the penetrative nature of this, Max sticks his gun into the hole and then st- kind of like struggles to reclaim his hand from the maw of this, you know, stomach mouth. It kind of yanks back uh, his his uh, hand and it reveals that uh, it is now empty. Uh, the hole has swallowed his gun and it's disappeared. Uh, Max kind of like struggling to... Re- re- reclaim any kind of like normality is just like kind of like scouring his apartment for this gun in hopes of retrieving it and and, and but alas he comes up empty-handed uh so it's believed that his stomach has consumed this weapon and uh suddenly the phone rings shrilly and the person on the other end invites him to meet with uh i already revealed this name but it's very convex who is the creator of videodrome uh, I want to stop here because uh, this is another practical effect. Uh, I want to know, uh, were, were you, Mitch, did you enjoy this? Were, like, I want to know where you were like fully out. The, uh, fully the stomach out? mouth you're referring to? Yeah, like everything before the phone. I shouldn't have even gone to the phone. I should have just stopped right there and <laughs> asked you like, you know, <laughs> your, your thoughts on this sequence here. Yeah, I mean, I was probably... I don't want to say out like again it's 
<laughs> to me, it's just weird and like, oh, now the gun is inside him. Like, <laughs> Mitch it's, just it's does not strange. give a shit. You're just yeah. whatever. Yeah. Who cares, man? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, it's more interesting to me just from like a like a filmmaking standpoint of being like, okay, like how did they how did they do some of these practical effects and what was used for them? Like, I'd rather watch, uh, you know, a video explaining all uh, the practical effects in the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, I didn't really care. But it just, yeah, it's just, yeah, like I said, it's just like, oh, no, now there's a mouth on his, his stomach and that looks gross. And now he's putting <laughs> the gun inside it for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Seems yeah. reasonable. Is there a, like an explanation for why did he put the gun there? <laughs> why the gun? Or was he just exploring his new stomach hole? Like, So <laughs> I don't know exactly. I'm sure something's been written about this film. But I think, you know, as I brought up earlier, a lot of theories of technology and the human relationship between us and technology bring up guns because they were such a, you know, the invention of gunpowder and am ammunition is, is such a world changing Right. Um, technological development. So I don't think it's a coincidence that it's a gun as the symbol. Um, it's guns and television, right? That are, that are the technologies that are penetrative and biologically fusing with our bodies. I think uh, the reason he's, he's putting the gun inside himself, and I, I do agree with you that it's ridiculous and kind of <laughs> unprompted and a bit weird and confusing, but um, you know, he's starting to become, through his brainwashing, he's starting to become compelled to fuse his biological essence with the technologies around him, whether it's a gun or a TV, he's compelled to stick his face into the TV and he, you know, we'll get, I won't spoil it now, but we'll get into how he fully melds with TV in some ways. Right. So I think it's just the beginning of him kind of being like, okay, there are these violent, destructive te man-made technologies that I suddenly feel inexplicably comp compelled to fuse myself with. And, and that's not necessarily an explanation. I think the why is still kind of hanging there for sure. Um, but that's kind of my reading of it a little yeah. bit. That makes sense. Uh, and also, I mean, human beings, I think, uh, are known to any orifice we have. They, oh, know, yeah. People stick things in it. So, children get, you know, Play Doh stuck in their ears. It's a very, they, yeah. we just love, we love to put stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, so I guess back to the movie, but uh, uh, as explained, uh, Barry Convex had called <laughs> the creator of Videodrome and such. Uh, Max ends up at uh, essentially what is an optometrist office called Spectacular Optical. Uh, also the name of a publishing company that puts out some really good books that I'd recommend. Uh, there is uh, House of Satanic, uh, sorry, sorry, House of Psychotic Women, women that's really, really good. There's Satanic Panic, which uh, is a collection of essays uh, chronicling people's experience with the Satanic Panic. Uh, all good stuff. Heavily recommended. Uh, check it out. But anyways, uh, this is uh, our, our kind of our, our glasses store, our, our optometrist office. And it's here that Max meets Barry Convex. Uh, Convex offers to record one of Max's hallucinations with the aid of uh, some new tech headgear for the purposes of further analysis. Uh, it looks incredibly similar to the headpiece that uh, is used in uh, Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, new movie. Uh, 
showing the the constant similarities between father and son um but anyways that's a discussion for another time uh, max's trepidation is eased by convex saying all of the other test subjects who have experienced the videodrome signal have needed kind of intensive psychiatric care uh, so we'd like to find out why Max has been kind of like so well adapted thus far. It's kind of weird that they think he's well adapted, but alas. <laughs> uh, Max does don the headgear as Convex exits, saying he can't cope with the freaky stuff, which is a line that I love a lot. Uh, but similarly, there is another line that uh, happens during the sequence that Yovana likes a lot. Uh, love it. <laughs> so while in the car, uh, uh, Max is subjected to kind of like a, a preamble of who Barry Convex is uh, via VHS, like a television screen in the car, correct? I, am I right? Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. shall I shall I reveal my line? Hell yeah. <laughs> so Do Barry it. Convex explains to Max about his business, spec, Spectacular Optical? Spectacle yes. Optical? Yeah. He says, quote, optical. we make inexpensive glasses for the third world and missile guidance systems for NATO, <laughs> which is fucking hilarious. I'm sorry. Like, you know, and speaking of this entire trajectory of technology, there's um, there's a lot of famous theories about how eyeglasses were a huge world-changing technology because for a lot of history, people who had poor eyesight just couldn't see very well, and that was your life. Um, so it's interesting to frame the eyeglass technology, another technology of vision, like like yeah. uh, television, of course, to frame it as this altruistic, benevolent, charitable effort to help people in developing countries have affordable eyewear. <laughs> so like, so, so nice, very Mother Teresa. Wow, how wonderful little orphans with eyeglasses in poor countries and missile guidance systems for NATO, which is also, <laughs> <Bury the lead. laughs> which is also a uh, powerful world-changing controversial technology you know, and now it's been very advanced with things like military drone strikes, where we just have literal algorithms deciding which human beings to kill with tiny drones, um, you know, as a military operation, completely removing human biology and reducing human deaths in warfare, but right. yet also introducing machines into the arbitrary killing of, of foreign actors. So yeah. um, just a really, really funny spectrum of the two uh, areas of specialization of, of uh, Barry Convex's business. Um, yeah. I laughed. I laughed out loud. It's really funny. Also, we all benefit from the aid of glasses, I believe. Uh, Mitch obviously does. My yeah. prescription is ridiculous. Yvan, uh, I believe you wear glasses sometimes too? I do. My prescription's pretty light, but I need them to drive a car so that I can yeah. see the signage on the road. So nice. <laughs> God bless glasses. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Mine is minus five and minus 5.5 or something. Like oh it's, boy. It's, yeah, it's, I'm blind pretty much. Uh, Mitch, or what, what's yours like? Tell me. Uh, it's Everybody pretty, wants to know. Uh, pretty minimal uh, as well. Oh. Um, I Sometimes I'll drive without them. Oh, boy, uh, if, if I know Ooh, where I'm going, like uh, it's again, I, it's really for for reading, uh, you know, distances or like the signage. If I need to be reading signage, if I don't know right. where I'm going, then definitely right. going to be wearing my glasses. But uh, but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take them off a lot, and I don't the need them. Police are the coming time. for you now. <laughs> I'm have to do this podcast on my own after both of you are arrested. <laughs> uh yeah so uh i guess back to or, or hallucination i guess uh max who's now on his lonesome imagines uh nikki entering the room and she hands him a whip and uh max kind of now realizes that he's in the very same room that videodrome is taped in kind of that red room with the red clay wall uh and nikki is now only present on the screen of a television that's kind of like situated in the center of the room 
and Max takes his whip and begins to like whip the television as veins pulse across uh, its surface. Uh, just as the image of Nikki is quickly replaced by that of Masha, our pornographer from earlier. I really like this scene. I think it's great. The The symbolism is rich. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because I, I personally, I felt like Max is kind of like, while he's pervy, is like a repressed person a little bit. And he's kind of like be, becoming like... It, it, his sexuality is like presenting itself more. I think like his hallucinations are kind of like helping him find uh, himself a little bit. Like he's becoming a little bit less uh, restrained, but we then cut to a delirious Max who wakes up back in his apartment next to the corpse of Masha. Uh, frantic Max calls Harlan over to document the scene with his stills camera, which I think is a very, very interesting thing. Like, uh, using this old piece of technology to document something as reality uh, could be an interesting discussion. I don't know how you feel, guys feel about it, but <laughs> unfortunately Harlan finds nothing in the bed. Max has only dropped from one hallucination into another. Uh, Max then drags poor Harlan back to the lab to see the latest pirated episode of Videodrome. I, I love the next scene. I, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, sadly, once at the lab, it's revealed that Harlan is working with none other than Barry Convex. No! No! <laughs> how, uh, could Harlan... how could he? How Harlan... could you character that I don't care about and I'm not <laughs> yeah. invested in? I love Harlan as like the... He's funny, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a, a funny good character. character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harlan reveals that he's been feeding Max pre-recorded tapes of Videodrome and it's never actually been broadcast yeah. yet. That's yeah. cold. Yeah. That's cold, Harlan. Yes, yeah, Harlan's fucking everything up. Uh, Max realizes Harlan never had to watch, and that's why he never fell into the hallucinations that have uh, been, you know, uh, that Max has been struggling with. Harlan goes on a weird rant that begins to reveal the politics behind the Videodrome signal. He views the content produced by Civic TV slash Channel 83 to be swill, a rot festering deep in the heart of America. Videodrome is to be the cure. Very Convex reveals that Channel 83 is to become the ground zero, uh, the first station to administer the Videodrome signal. And then to basically co-opt Max as a soldier for their cause, uh, Barry Convex produces a tape. Uh, I, I don't know if it's Harlan or, or, or Convex that does it, but uh, a, a, a tape is shoved into Max's stomach, mouth, slash vagina, I suppose. Uh, I, I love this the sequence here, uh, I, and I feel like, Mitch, this is probably where you're like, I legit do not fucking care anymore what's happening, uh, uh, but I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so this is sort of where the, I guess, minimal amount of curiosity that I had previously is satisfied, where it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, like, I guess this guy's, this is, he's not his buddy, he's been working for Videodrome the whole time. Uh, <laughs> so like it, you know again it was a little bit of like uh oh that's an interesting you know twist of events i suppose that you know this is what's going on and that there hasn't actually been any broadcasting of it um but like that's the that's the limit of of my investment or interest in in how the you know dynamic changes in this reveal here yeah yeah yvanna what were your what are your thoughts uh, i mean we're now kind of revealing the the politics behind videodrome right. trying to essentially eliminate the people who enjoy 
uh, this kind of content. And, and right. that's that's the goal. Uh, I think in generally, I'm always compelled and excited when there's a reveal in a film about someone doing some type of world takeover. And maybe that's yeah. a bit excessive for this particular project. But oh, that's fair, yeah, yeah. I, I always like it when there's a secret plot to kind of, I don't know, brainwash the population or control society or something like that. Uh, yeah. Not that I'm in, not that I'm in favor of those things, but um, <laughs> yeah. I do find it to be an exciting and compelling plot point. So yeah, it's fun. And the reveal of Harlan, is it Harlan? Harley? Yeah. Harlan, yeah, yeah. Uh, as as kind of a bad actor that's involved in that larger conspiracy is fun. And I also think it puts the Max Ren character in an interesting position where he thinks he's been, he's had the illusion of control, right? Like he's, you know, the central white male protagonist chasing the mystery, revealing the clues, figuring out what's going on. And suddenly he's no longer in control. I mean, he yeah. kind of never was, but he thought he was, I think, um, because he's like super confident and swagger and, you know, sexy cool guy working yeah. on a tv station but suddenly he's like oh oh no i'm just a pawn and i'm just yeah. part of this larger thing and i really don't understand it even though i kind of thought i did so um interesting to see him taken down a peg in that way uh epistemologically i guess yeah. um yeah it's fun fun twist continue to love this movie and we'll yeah. say just in general agreeing with mitch i love the effects the practical effects are excellent and really fun and really unusual so um yeah for me it just kind of continues to keep rolling here and 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 i keep enjoying it more and more unlike yeah. mitch i keep enjoying it more and more with every moment that goes on <laughs> yeah i could i could watch this movie quite a few times yeah totally yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is this scene is largely why I brought up Ontario censorship because this feels like the ultimate censor. You have this 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 body of people that are trying to uh, basically uh, permanently censure a lot of people mm -hmm. that enjoy this content that they view as being irredeemable. You know, the the ultimate goal of this is to remove what they see as deplorable content as well as the people yeah. who enjoy it. Uh, There's actually. It's maybe superficial, but that's my, my general thought. No, I agree. And there's actually a line that Harlan, Harley, Har I keep forgetting. I, there's a line Harlan. he says that I forgot to write down. But when I heard it this time upon my fourth viewing, it struck me as a vague nod to a kind of social purification that has some ties to a potential ethno-nationalism or white supremacy. Like he says something like, you know, our society is weak and soft. fractured and we yeah. must we must cleanse it to or i forget the words exactly yeah. he says something about cleansing society which like as soon as you use the word cleanse to about yeah. demographics it's not a great you're word. like okay i don't know dude so um and I, I read a really interesting recently article about the histories of fascism and the ways in which they work across times and places and there is this um constant desire for strength right so to like strengthen the population to remove weak actors weak chains in the link and like to make sure the population is pure and cleansed and all this stuff so i actually hadn't considered that about this film in previous viewings but that that comment um struck me and and i thought it was definitely an interesting nod to uh to fascism basically let's yeah. just, let's oh, just call it spade yeah. a spade there we go yeah yeah I, I believe the words that he, he like america is getting soft yeah something like Patron that or whatever yeah yeah uh, I, I, yeah, this scene is great. I love it. Or the sequence is great. I love it. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, back to the movie. Like a virus, Max has now essentially been taken over by this tape. And he's sent uh, essentially as an assassin to kill his partners at Channel 83. This is a, basically part of the, the larger scheme of the people behind Videodrome to uh, eliminate Max's partners so they can kind of take over the station. So Max uh, retrieves the gun from his kind of like stomach mouth and the wires and metal from the gun begin to fuse with his flesh uh kind of uh, 
harkening back to the comments that Yvonne had just made, uh, or not just made, but you made somewhat recently uh, about the 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 fusing of of persons uh, with the the machines that they create, and uh, now at Channel eighty three, Max motors through the halls and into the boardroom where he kills his two partners. Uh, slight uh, uh, tangent, but for me, it's a really affecting scene because. Uh, I, defensive bullet wounds are like a like uh, uh, are deeply affecting for me for whatever reason. Uh, like the first executive kind of like throws up his arms to shield himself from the barrage and he gets shot in the arm. There's something about that that like using your your flesh appendages uh, as like a defense are is like such a deeply unsettling thing uh, in the face of like certain doom. I don't know. Uh, this scene really really affected me. I also really don't like guns. I, <laughs> I, I find them like uh, deeply upsetting. Uh, uh, so you wouldn't put one inside your stomach mouth? <laughs> I, w- I, w- I would not put one inside of my stomach mouth. So after completing his mich- mission at uh, Channel 83, Max escapes the panicked halls of Channel 83 and heads to his next target, Bianca Oblivion, as she's the only other person deeply aware of Videodrome and its effects. Max, merely a soldier controlled by the videotape virus commandeering his body, stalks toward Bianca through the the uh, kind of like the the maze of cubicles uh, inside of the cathode ray mission. But instead, he comes upon a television with Nikki Brand on the screen. Bianca reveals that Nikki was dead long before Max ever met her, and her merely her image was used to seduce him. Suddenly, a hand holding a gun kind of like protrudes from, not protrudes, but displaces the screen of the television uh, and shoots Max Wren, freeing him from Barry Convex's virus. Bianca then tells Max that he is now the video world made flesh and he is to continue, or sorry, and continues to tell him that he must rebel against Videodrome. And then uh, several uh, iconic lines are uttered, uh, which are death to Videodrome and long live the new flesh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love this sequence. I think it's like, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's scary, obviously, because uh, you have this like rampaging Max Ren with his weird flesh gun that shoots essentially cancer-causing bullets, which we'll get to soon. Max begins uh, his new quest by tracking down Harlan back to, back at Spectacular Optical. Harlan, believing Max has completed his orders, attempts to feed Max's stomach mouth with another tape with new orders. However, Harlan grimaces as he pulls back his hand, uh, which has now been chewed to the flesh-speckled bone and uh, with an odd cylindrical mound of flesh at the end. Max is Harlan's- doing his kegels. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh, that's a great comment. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Harlan staggers back as he explodes, knocking a hole in the wall that Max walks out of as if nothing's happened. Uh, a true action movie moment in a movie that is largely not an action movie. Max makes his way back to his final stop, Barry Convex's weird Medici themed trade show, uh, where he's revealing the next lineup of glasses. It's just an odd stage show. Uh, there are people in really shiny leotards. It looks uncomfortable to wear. Uh, Max pulls out his flesh gun and shoots Barry Convex with his, uh, as I said, cancer-causing bullets. Barry Convex's skin fissures, uh, and out from the cracks in his skin, huge tumors begin to protrude. Max grabs the mic and screams out uh, the iconic lines, Death to Videodrome, Long Live the New Flesh. With nothing left to accomplish, Max makes his way to a derelict ship 
Reality, having fully broken for Max, now finds himself uh, with a television in this kind of like, you know, rundown room. And on it, Nikki Brand is on the screen. Nikki advises Max that he must go on to the next stage. Total transformation. The old flesh must be cast aside. Nikki will show him how to do it. Her image is now replaced by Max as he draws a gun up to his temple. Just as he pulls the, stri- uh, the trigger, the screen explodes with entrails and viscera sailing out. Max pulls up his flesh gun and utters his long live the new flesh uh, motto as he pulls the trigger and we go to credits. So that is Videodrome, guys. <laughs> I love it. We covered a lot of territory here. So a- any thoughts on that last sequence of events, guys? I want to hear about all the things that Mitch hates about it. Yeah. (laughs) It's very entertaining for me to hear Mitch say things he hates about movies. No, I mean, to be honest, I didn't hate the ending of the movie. Um, (laughs) I don't know. And I mean, I guess it's even just like not getting anywhere past the surface level. But um, I surprisingly was interested in the sort of final scene between him and uh, Barry Convex and his weird sort of uh, show that he's putting on on stage there, or this new product introduction or whatever it is. Um, and the practical effects used there, I thought were awesome uh, and enjoyed that. Uh, and then the ending, again, it's just surface level stuff. It's just like, oh, this is really great use of practical effects and, you know, and then it ended, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is the end of this movie. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, again, like, there's really, it didn't feel like I was invested in anybody or the story or anything And in terms of, you know, my brain and, you know, because the, the way you guys describe the movie and talk about, you know, um, the, you know, cer- certain philosophical ideas and, and themes and, and how, you know, they interest you and i'm like oh yeah that does sound interesting but when i watched this movie i was not feeling any of that um (laughs) i was again like mostly i was bored and and then i'd say also kind of weirded out by the stuff just like it's just so far removed from my sensibilities that it's hard to for me to enjoy it like um i don't want to get into the awards uh just yet but certain scenes i'm watching and i'm just like this is just too fucking weird for me man like i don't i don't get it and it's just not compelling cinema yeah ivana uh any, any responses uh no i mean i think i think mitch's uh stance is totally totally fair <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm not i, I don't feel that way but like yeah. totally to each his own right um other than that, I think the ending really ramps up a lot of the technology versus human biology and fusing of the two issues that we've been talking about already. So obviously the word made flesh, I believe that's a biblical thing. I'm not a, I'm not very up and up on my Christianity and biblical scholarship, but uh, right. something about how, you know, people argue that language is a technology. So, so the word meaning language uh, and, and flesh. So the ways in which our bodies and our physical biological essence uh, fuse with the human invention of language. Um, I guess all I want to say is that I think it's nice that Max 
dies or kills himself at the end. And what do I mean? What do I mean by nice? I don't know what I mean by nice. I think it's appropriate. I think it goes with the film film's thematics of his, his downfall as a character. He's on his way down the whole movie. He's never on his way up. He's never on top of shit. He's never succeeding. He's never, uh, you know, achieving his goals. He's just steadily slipping down a slope of self-destruction. Um, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice that it ends at the bottom of the toilet bowl. Um, and I think it's also nice that he uh, seems to be choosing to destroy his body and his physical essence with a kind of joy and relief. Like he's not he's not destroying himself in a, in a self-destruct way. He's like, I'm going to liberate myself from the, uh, you know, the strictures of the human form. I'm just going to be like total consciousness, which frankly, I don't know if that's going to work out for him. But um, yeah. <laughs> he he's at least dreaming big. Let's say that Max is dreaming big. So. Yeah, that's it for me. But uh, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's full of great ideas. I think it's shot beautifully. I love the effects. I love the pace. I love the 90 minute running time. I love that it's shot in Toronto, as we know, a lot of Cronenberg stuff is. And I love seeing old Toronto locations for you yeah. know listeners who don't know we are based in Toronto, or at least uh, Stefan, you're, you're close to Toronto. So um, yeah, Hamilton, I love, baby. yeah, I love seeing the old, uh, you know, Toronto public transit, the street corners, the, uh, you know, that final scene scene takes place on the portlands uh the industrial docks at the south of toronto on lake ontario so i don't know there's something charming about that aspect too but yeah, yeah for me uh, two well, thumbs up yeah where, where i live now is largely aesthetically similar yeah. to old toronto <laughs> industrial waterfront <laughs> Ham- yeah yeah hamilton is like uh, in the 90s still which i love aesthetically yeah I, I i find it interesting that he uses uh the combination of technology and the human uh to kill himself like his flesh gun i think that's a yeah a, a, a fitting way to end this movie it was initially supposed to end with uh uh an orgy between max fusing with nikki brand oh my and and like their their flesh fuses and there's another character i think was supposed to be in the mix but obviously the the, the effects would have been you know far too demanding and and the the, the shooting schedule was far too Uh, aggressive but for now mitch why don't we get to your awards which i would like to call the purgatories (laughs) what are your thoughts on that yeah i think that's uh (laughs) i think that's a fitting i'm gonna gonna railroad you with uh uh, (laughs) branding of your awards no i dig it let's do it all right cool so why don't we start with scenes this time uh since you didn't like this uh which i'm excited about why don't we go least favorite first uh and then favorite so least favorite scene and i'll say that these awards a lot of the times they're they're tough for me to to find something to award um and in this movie it's you know it's not that this scene stood out so much as being you know terrible or anything like that um, just sort of the culmination of me being out on the movie and sort of what was taking place on screen. Um, yeah. The uh, hallucination, I guess, where uh, uh, Max is whipping the fleshy television. Um, I found very little of value in, in that scene. Like, I guess I just, it's so hard for me to, get past the just bizarreness of what I'm seeing on yeah. screen that like, I'm not, you know, for, you know, to use a fitting word for this movie, penetrating any deeper than the surface level here in watching this scene and just being like, what, who filmed this? Like what, what brain came up with this? 
and put it to fucking celluloid and then release it. David Cronenberg. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of like, at that point, I was already out really on the movie. And this is just kind of like, okay, now he's whipping a TV, a fleshy TV. And the woman who I don't even remember who she is, um, is reacting as though she's being tortured. I don't know. I just I didn't care. Yeah, that, that, that's fair, and I, I think it tracks with your your <laughs> yeah your general feelings toward this movie. So that, that's a good pick. I, I like that. Uh, what about your favorite scene, uh, which I assume was probably harder to pick? Um, definitely harder to pick because again, like nothing really stood out as something that I particularly enjoyed. I'd say probably the uh, the scene where uh, Harlan does reveal himself as the you know as having been feeding max the video drone recordings and you know sort of working and and not really being his friend because you know there's a little bit of twist in plot there that you know i wasn't expecting necessarily it's like okay because like really harlan was probably the only character who i actually like liked seeing on screen because he's you know he's kind of a funny uh you know supporting character here so when that happens, like, okay, there's something more sinister happening than initially even thought. And you get sort of the reveal there. So probably that, but even then that's not like I, you know, love the scene by any means. Um, but really yeah. like my, the biggest appreciation for the movie for me is the practical effects, which uh, I just have a, a love for and think that, you know, they, we need to see them in more movies. And this is a really innovative way of using practical effects um which i can appreciate so yeah yeah cool um all right well i feel this category might be harder for you because yeah moving on to actors i don't think anybody is particularly bad on this movie uh but let's 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 lead with your least favorite performance yeah i think you're right that nobody is really particularly bad in the movie so it was a tough choice and like there's there's no stephen lack in scanners (laughs) no definitely not (laughs) Um, it's mo- it's like an arbitrary pick, really, because she has very little to do. But I picked uh, Julie Kenner as Bridie. Um, yeah. Again, like, just like has very little to do, but it's just kind of like, okay, she's fine. Doesn't add much. Like, again, like this award could have gone to probably anybody because like, yeah. no, she's not bad in the movie. No one's really bad in this movie. So I just sort of had to pick someone who like maybe it was the least interesting person to me rather than yeah you know bad she plays her character pretty well like she she does like a good like uh she's almost like naive to how awful max is and there's like something right. charming about that in a movie that's generally dealing with characters who are kind of like on the seedier side yeah so i feel like it's like an interesting juxtaposition but okay uh st- still still a good pick uh and then your favorite performance which uh might have been harder for you because <laughs> you're kind of like not invested but yeah i think i picked james woods as max yeah. wren and i think that you know i don't even know if it's the performance or just like uh Yovana was saying the sort of like seediness or creepy nature of james woods as a person uh just sort of like um works very well with him being this character and i already had this like preconceived notion of him as sort of a creep um so this like just plays right into that um and i think for the most part he does a good job um you know 
in hallucinations and sort of someone who's you know losing their mind a little bit and, yeah know, i believed that he was going through you know some of this crazy shit so so i went with james woods and really like there's some other supporting players but they don't have like huge you know roles or like a lot yeah. to do um so so i went with him easy choice but you know yeah it's, it's the only time james Woods should uh, get a trophy i guess yeah, he gets a purgatory uh he gets a purgatory <laughs> One of our purgatories. All right, cool. Uh, well, that's video drone. I did want to. Ask oh, well, no, you sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, whoa, 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 sorry. I, I made a mistake. Uh, I, it's obvious because you were dragged to hell, but I would assume you would not recommend this movie. That, that's the final moment. <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend this? No, I uh, I wouldn't recommend this movie uh, unless I know that someone was you know a big Cronenberg fan or like a big body horror fan yeah. then i might uh be like yeah you probably uh, dig this but for most people that i know uh they probably would have liked it even less uh than, than i did <laughs> uh so no i would not recommend it um i did want to ask you one thing though in terms of the whole like the movie as a whole um yes. and sort of the central sort of conceit here at least in my reading is you know videodrome is you know this sort of like this tumor you know inducing entity that is you know targeting people who are very much invested in the types of programs that you know the videodrome is or that you know james woods is, is searching for these very violent um you know almost like depraved uh um, yeah films and it's seen as like this is like a an evil corporation in this movie and my question is like is it is it a bad thing to be to just be targeting these people like obviously i'm not oh, yeah, totally. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the you know mass <laughs> extinction or you know of you know people who are into you know weird shit um, yeah. And like, that's not to comment on people's kinks, which, you know, you do you, I don't really care what you're into, yeah, but yeah, yeah, as totally. long as you're happy and people are safe. But, um, but I guess in watching this, it seems like it's, it's targeting people who get off on watching other people be tortured or killed and potentially not in a consensual, like kink kind of way. And so I guess my question is like, why, what's, what's the problem? You know, is this that many people? <laughs> I, I think the idea is that, uh, you know, for a lot of people, what they view on television isn't necessarily real. So I think a lot of people who would be watching this would be maybe like under the assumption or impression that it is a like a, 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 an unscripted television show. Like, uh, like okay. it wouldn't necessarily be perceived to be like real acts where like Max learns that it's real. But if, if it were, say, like programmed and put onto television, uh people would i think rightly assume that it's not real do you know what i mean oh, okay so essentially not people who are into legit torture Actual, and yeah you know yeah. snuff films but people who just yeah. like watching violent shit yeah uh, in terms or just of like, like people are into like uh, snm like bdsm right. like like yeah, yeah I, I i think it's those types of people that they would uh, be be targeting, uh, which you know, the, uh, no, I don't think they're targeting people who would specifically want to watch like just like 
actual murder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, because like I'm watching the movie and I'm like, well, if this is what pe- these people are into, like maybe uh, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if uh, <laughs> maybe that's the real reading of the movie is that you know, Videodrome is good, uh, but probably not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the reality is that these people are like uh, murdering, like like. Uh, for the sake of a broadcast that'll that'll uh murder other people like the yeah. the, the logic collapses in on itself <laughs> absolutely uh, but i did think you had a, a fun reading not that this was a legitimate reading but when you mentioned that james woods is sort of um discovering his own like sexuality or like you know he's sort of like as a creep but like it comes out more in his hallucinations and like videodrome yeah. is like it's, it's it's kind of a funny reading to think it's like oh if you presented it as a movie about a guy who you know through hallucinations starts to uh you know figure out who he is uh sexually uh and what his kinks are uh, because it's not at all what this movie is but uh yeah th- there could be a remake that recontextualizes <laughs> this movie for sure uh that being said i wouldn't want to see a remake of it because i no. feel like it would be butchered entirely yeah, uh, I, th- I think somebody was trying to make one at one point. Along, you know, I'd mentioned that on our scanners episode, somebody was trying to make a new scanners, and the script was just like god awful dog shit. Uh, I'd imagine like a a remake nowadays would largely be the same. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wish that there were uh, tax shelter laws in Canada because I think you could probably make a lot more interesting stuff. Uh, I mean, the reality is, it's like a lot of people trying to, you know, uh, <laughs> cheat tax laws. <laughs> <laughs> that was what was fun, fun funding uh funding canadian film and like that might not be great but you know at least you can make weird movies uh for and, sure and i, I can appreciate cool. this movie you know sort of for what it is like it's, it's it's not for me but like i don't i would never fault anyone for enjoying this movie i think that it does have you know does present some interesting you know ideas and themes but like just for me you know they're presented in such a way that you know it's not an enjoyable movie going experience for me um but certainly can understand why that you and and yeah yeah, Yeah, and i I could completely understand why you don't like it that's that's the point of this podcast exactly (laughs) understanding differences (laughs) and then exploiting them for future picks yes exactly all right so that is our season two opener uh stay tuned for our next episode but for now why don't we all say bye bye Bye, guys it was fun ttyl